Okay, let's do a little informal poll to start off. Now, I know that we're from Guelph, and many of you are of British descent, so you're a little quiet. I'll keep working with you, though, in six years. It's going to be a very boisterous church, you'll see. Come back and visit us. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, I want you to participate. I'm not going to ask you to do anything stupid or silly, but I want you to participate, so you need to show me your hand here. Informal poll, all right? How many of you love transition? Show me your hand if you love transition. One, two, three, four, five, six. All the eights on the Enneagram. Eight. Eight of us. There were ten in first service. Ten. How many of you, when it comes to transition, not so much? Let me see your hand. <laughs> awesome. Thanks. So good. Okay, first service was exactly the same. Most people hate transition. What is transition? Transition. Passage from one state, stage, subject, or place to another. A movement, development, or evolution from one form, stage, or style to another. That's out of the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Most people don't love transition. I like change, but even I can find transition a little hard. Nikki said to me this week that last year was, I think you said, the most difficult year of your life. One of the most difficult years of our life together as we transitioned from 15 years in Burlington to a whole new city, this strange place called Guelph, where they have a farmer's market full of hippies that we go to every Saturday to begin indoctrinating ourselves to the way of this lovely town. New schools for the kids, new church for me. It's a really, really hard year. Transition is very, very difficult. Even I like change, but I find transition hard. The thing about transition is that it comes to everyone's life. Right? You've experienced it for sure because you had an opinion about it. Nobody can avoid transition. So the question is this, how do we navigate it? Fortunately for us this morning, Genesis 32 has some pretty powerful insights. I know it because I wrote it and I already preached it once. And I'm so excited to see which of these key insights God's intended for you this morning. See if you can spot it even at the first read-through. Genesis 32. Jacob went on his way. And the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Machanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to my lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. The messengers returned to Jacob, saying, we uh, came to your brother Esau, and he's coming to meet you, and there are 400 men with him. This is a bad moment. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude." So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 
30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to the servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, To whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent from my lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him, and you shall say, Moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Yavuk, that's the river. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask me my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. See, he already knew who he was dealing with, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Genesis 32. You'll like today's thesis. In fact, I bet every time I read it for the remainder of this series, someone will laugh about it. Here's today's thesis. Your new name is Stand Up Straight because you're going to win. But don't be too impressed with yourself because your nickname is Hopalong Cassidy. (laughs) We got some things to keep in mind as we learn to navigate transition here in Genesis 32. Let's go verse 1. Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. I want to point out that Jacob is doing what he's got to do. Okay, notice that right off the top. He's doing what he's got to do. Jacob went on his way. He's doing what he's got to do. Question, are you frozen in stasis? So many people that you know are frozen in stasis. We were at Costco last night. I try to stay away from Costco. I really don't like it. And as, in fact, we went to Costco, I went to Costco, and we bought, like, food at Costco afterwards. You know when you sit and eat those fries and stuff? And I was like, I am part of the unwashed masses right now. I'm in the matrix. (laughs) And as I watched all the people there, I was reminded of what the philosopher said, that most men live quiet lives of quiet desperation. I got to say, I mean, it could be just me. And it could be just the impression that most people were given off, but I did not see a lot of joy at Costco. I didn't see a lot of hope on those faces. And I was just struck with the collective pain of humanity, with the weight of our shared human experience, with how tough life can be. How many people do you know who are stuck in stasis? If you want to learn to navigate transition, act. Why? Because except on Saturdays, God is a God of action, and you've been made in his image and likeness, so get to work. Why except on Saturday? It's Shabbat. He rests on Saturday. My dad told me something recently that really struck me. I didn't know this about him, and I've known him my whole life. Go figure. You learn something new every month. He said to me, you know, when I was a young man, 
I decided that I would stop asking God for anything on Sabbath. I figure he's resting that day. I'm not going to bother him with my prayers on Saturday. So if I do pray on Saturday, all I do is bless his name. I was like, that makes sense. So that's it. I don't pray anymore on Saturdays. I just bless his name. I figure he could take a rest. So unless it's Saturday, God is working, and you've been made in some way like God, so get to work and do your thing. Why do so many people stay locked in stasis? Because they're afraid. What are they afraid of? I don't know. Pick your poison. Right? Jacob is traveling from his father-in-law's house with his family, enough people to fill two camps. And I've played in the rock deserts between Israel and the north. And it is rocky, and it is forbidding, and it is not easygoing. I mean, from a twisted ankle to bandits attacking to missing the next water source, all manner of bad things could have assailed Jacob. And you can bet that the fear of those bad things was in his mind. So many people stay frozen in stasis because they're worried about bad things that might happen. Well, look, bad things might happen to you, but remember week five in this series and Genesis chapter 28, heaven will meet you along the way. We see that again today in verse one, and the angels of God met him. Isn't that astonishing? This would have been absolutely astonishing to the original audience. Like our patriarch Jacob is obeying God and he's traveling home. And all of a sudden, the angels of God meet him along the way. God shows up. And when God shows up, it's good. How do we know? Verse 2 tells us it's good. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Machanaim. We get to do a little word play here. Machanaim has traditionally been interpreted by most Bible scholars as meaning two camps. So you get it from this. Machane is the word for camp. Machane. So the big markets, like our farmer's market in Guelph, it exists in Jerusalem. It's much cooler in Jerusalem. If you're coming to Israel with us in 2020, we're going to go to Machane Yehuda. Some of the best restaurants in the city are there. It's called Machane Yehuda, the camp of Judah. Okay, Machane Yehuda, that is the big market in Jerusalem. Machane is the word for camp. When you make something plural in Hebrew, you put an im to it. So ish is the word for man. Anashim is the word for men. Isha is the word for woman. Nashim is the word for women. You hear it? Isha, nashim. Ish, anashim. You put an im on it. Machane, camp. Machanaim, two camps. Okay, so most Bible scholars interpret this strictly as two camps. And they, in fact, sometimes lay over a whole motif of two camps that reoccurs throughout Genesis 32. But most of them have missed a play on words that is so obvious to me as a boy who grew up speaking Hebrew. If you break the word machanaim into two words, you get machane, camp. And Naim. Machane and Naim. And what is the word for Naim? Nice. This is the nice camp. Because God's here. See, Hebrew is a language of double and sometimes triple entendre. When a Hebrew writer writes a word, they almost always, if they can, imbue it with a poetic resonance so that the reader reads it and knows it means two camps, but it also echoes a good place. Because wherever God is, is good. And how do I know that that's just not poetry? How do I know that that's worth preaching? Well, because I've read Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. Where God is... is Good place. It's a nice place. 
You want to learn to navigate transition? Conquer your fear by counting on God's goodness. Where God is is the nice place, so stick to Jesus. Wherever he goes, you go. Also a biblical pattern, isn't it? Wherever you go, I will go. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Stick to Jesus. Keeping in mind that that doesn't mean that your life is always going to be easy or stress-free. We see this attested to in verses 3 through 5. And Jacob sent his messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them. Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Lavan and have stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, female servants. I have sent to tell my lord in order that I may find favor in his sight. What about Esau? What about him? You see, Jacob here is obeying the Lord. He's returning to the lands of his fathers. But what about Esau is echoing in his mind. What's your what about? You got one? But what about? I'm trying to obey you, Lord, but what about? I'm trying to do what I hear you saying, Lord, but what about? What's your what about? I know you have one. I have a few. But what about? Okay, it's normal to have a concern that you obsess about. Sometimes it's true that it feels like your worst fear is coming true. This happens in verse 6. Look at what happens. Don't miss it. So he sends his messengers to Esau. They go and deliver the message. Interestingly, I'm not going to preach on this, but the word messengers here is the same word that occurs at the top of the passage, the word for angels. So it's almost like God didn't just send the angels to comfort Jacob with their presence, but he sent them to work with him. God is present for your comfort, and God is present for your help. He sent his messengers ahead. They deliver the message. They come back. They say, yeah, we delivered the message. And then there's an and. And he's coming to meet you. Oh, yeah, and there's 400 men with him. Let's remember that Abraham, his grandfather, conquered the four armies of the kings of the north with 318 men. So 400 men in this age of the world is a weaponized army. This is very bad news. You want to learn to navigate transition? Know that you're not the only one who has ever had a stomach dropping, blood rushing to your core, I think I'm going to pass out, worst case scenario come your way. Has it ever happened to you? You know what I'm talking about, right? You ever see like stars? Like you're almost going to pass out. It's like the end of the world. Okay? If that's ever happened to you, you're not the only one. It happened to Jacob too. Okay? Jacob could not be facing a tougher moment. So the next time this happens to you, and I pray it doesn't happen too often because nobody would wish that moment even on their enemies. But when this happens to you, remember... God is with you even when you're afraid. He's with you even when you're afraid. Okay, I'm with you, so what do I do? You call out to him humbly for help. This is what happens in verses 7 through 12. Oh, God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. 
I am not worthy of the least of the deeds of your steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you've shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I've become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted for multitude. Jacob is greatly afraid and distressed. Okay? Bad times are going to come. Like it's, a, it's a church growth recipe right there. Tell your people that life is hard and bad times are going to come and they're going to keep coming. That's the biblical pattern. I'm sorry. I didn't write this stuff. I didn't make this up. I'd change it if I could, but I can't. And it's true. Bad times are going to come. He has to divide his camp in two. Imagine making that decision. Which camp goes over here? Which camp goes over there? Which one am I hoping will survive? Because if he kills the one camp, at least the other will survive. Can you imagine the darkness of this moment? You may face horrific moments in life. Some of you already have. You want to learn to navigate those moments of transition. Learn to call out to God for help. Oh God of my father Abraham. And oh God of my father Isaac. He calls out to God for help. He's got no pride. He's not holding anything back. Call desperately for help. My dad taught me that he believes you get one fervent prayer a year. Now, the Bible doesn't say you get one, so don't take it as scripture. But my dad is quite the saint, and I'm almost embarrassed to say he was never really wrong with any of the advice he gave me in my entire life. So I have to sit down and be humble. So he said to me, you get one fervent prayer a year. So when it's time to pray that fervent prayer, pray it with faith and watch God step in. He even said to me, look, if you use your one prayer up, call me and I'll give you mine for the year. (laughs) He's that serious about it. He's crazy, and I've done it. Throughout the years, I've called him and said, Dad, I need you to pray that fervent prayer. So this is not flip kind of just recurrent prayer. This is, this is that anguished moment of like bearing your soul, your scraped raw, you're calling out to God for salvation. When you find yourself in that moment, go for it. Full bore, okay? Call desperately for help. And as you do it, remember your roots. Oh, God of my fathers. Okay, remember this is not some fly-by-night philosophical system that some person has developed. Okay, you are walking here in an ancient faith that undergirds Western civilization. And if you think that Western civilization ain't all that, I encourage you to reread your history. Plenty of good in Western civilization that owes a debt of gratitude to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Exhibit A, beer. Who invented beer? Monks. Why? Because there's no women in the monastery, and there's only so much gardening you can do. So we're like, I don't know. Let's invent the greatest drink ever. University, school, women's rights. I mean, look at your history and see the powerful impact that the gospel of Christ has had on culture. You are not part of some fly-by-night philosophy here. You are putting your hope here in the faith that undergirds everything that is good in this world. Remember your roots. And if you are a first-generation Christian, sink your roots down deep so that your great-great-grandkids can look back to you as that patriarch who matriarch who set your family on the right course. Call desperately for help. Remember your roots. And sometimes it's a good idea to remind God of his promises. Verse 12, But you said, I will surely be your God and make your offspring as the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered for multitude. What's he doing here? He is here recalling God's final sealing of his promise to Abraham after he tested Abraham in the matter of the sacrifice of Isaac. 
We read about it in Genesis 22, verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So this promise that God God made to his grandfather is so powerful that it's passed down from his grandfather to his father to him to the point that he can pray it back to God. So when you find yourself in desperate situations, you don't know what to pray, I suggest you go back to the first half of the book of Psalms and pray those back to God. Remind him of who he is. Remind him of what he said. Remind him of what he's promised you. And in your offspring, you said, Lord, that in my offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And I'm pretty sure God wasn't talking here about the USB key, which was invented by an Israeli. And I'm pretty sure he wasn't talking here about drip irrigation, which was invented by an Israeli. I'm pretty sure he's talking here about Jesus. God the Son made flesh who entered into space-time history to go to a cross where he would suffer and die in your place for your sins. So that as he hung there, God the Father might place on him the weight of your sin and the iniquity of us all. might punish him in our place so that this Jesus, this good God man might die the death that we should have died so that because he's God, he might rise again the third day, defeating in his body the power of Satan, sin, death and hell forever so that it would no longer reign in your mortal bodies so that you could live a life much more hopeful than what you see at Costco. So that you can put your hope on a kingdom that is coming when he returns from the place that he sat down at his father's right hand to judge the living and the dead and to inaugurate his kingdom which will have no end. A kingdom in which you have a place. You know what I suggest? This is what I suggest. You tell that to your problems. Preach the gospel to your problems. That's why I preach the gospel every week. You're like, why does he do it every week? It's like he has it memorized. I do have it memorized because I've been preaching it every week since I was 19. Why? So that you'll memorize it. So that next time you have a problem, you can preach the gospel to your problems. Amen? Amen. Preach the gospel to, I'm getting loud. Preach the gospel to your problems. You want to navigate transition? Remind your issues about Jesus. Then do what you can to make it right and get ready for the fight of your life because God is a wrestler. Okay, I'm going to paraphrase for the sake of time here what happens in verses 13 through 23. Jacob prepares a gift. He sends it ahead to his brother. This gift was probably worth millions of dollars. Even to this day in Israel, one camel, I forget, I think that one camel is worth about $80,000 in today's economy. Okay, so that's just one camel, and you see how much he's sending. So this gift that he's sending to Esau, he's really trying to make it right. So if you find yourself in a situation where you have to make it right with somebody in your life, expect it to cost you something. Okay, do whatever you can to make it right. And then, <laughs> you know, get ready to fight, because God is a wrestler. He sends this gift ahead to his brother, and he eats humble pie. He tells his messengers to address him as his brother's servant. And this is Jacob, the guy who stole his older brother's blessing and who stole his birthright. Okay? He treated his older brother so badly that he had to flee his father's house because his older brother wanted to kill him, I think, justly. And it's now 20 years later. And so for 20 years, Jacob has been living under the burden of the wrong he did to his brother Esau. 
So all he can do is what he can. He can eat humble pie, and he can hope for the best. Verse 20, perhaps he will accept me. Hear it in the Hebrew, ulai, maybe, yasha, pni. Ulai, maybe, yasha, is the word to lift up, right? I tell you about this all the time. I often use this word to go to Jesus when it shows up in the text, right? Because yasha is the root word of the name Yeshua, the lifted up one. Perhaps he will lift up pni, my face. Maybe he will lift up my face. Maybe he will salvation my face. You want to navigate transition, do what you can do, but put your hope in salvation. Y'all hear me? You can preach that one point for a whole sermon, okay? Do what you can. Often Christians are like, I'm waiting for the Lord to come through. No, do what you can do and wait for salvation to come through. Do you see? It's, it's, it's both and. And now get ready to fight. Because <clears throat> God is a wrestler. Verse 24 through 30. I've got to read this. So good. So he does what he can, sends the gift, divides his camp, then takes one further step, moves his wives and his concubines and his 11 kids to the other side of the brook, leaves them there, then he comes back to this side by himself. He's got everyone closeted away for the night. Now he's just going to sit there and worry. Except, and Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what's your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Yisrael, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? Like, don't you know who you're dealing with here? Why is it that you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place he knew he was dealing with, Pniel, saying, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. God is a wrestler. Who knew? Do you see the ridiculousness of this? As if his life isn't bad enough, he finally gets things squared away, and then a supernatural being shows up and wants to fight. You ever experienced this? It's like one bad thing leads to another, then leads to another, and then the sucker punch comes. God is a wrestler. What's his wrestler name, by the way? I figure if God's a wrestler, he's got to have a wrestler name. I figure his wrestler name might be Big Baby Jesus. You know? <laughs> it's Big Baby Jesus. That's what I'm going to call him. The wrestler name. God shows up to wrestle? You want to learn to navigate transition? Remember that sometimes, hear me now, God puts you in tough situations to toughen you up. Right? So what do you do? So many of us, we like flee difficulty. We flee suffering. We, at any cost, Lord, don't make me suffer. Missing out on the very situation that's meant to turn you into someone tough enough to join God on his mission to seek and save the lost and work towards the renewal of all things. God is a wrestler. He wants you to be also. So what do you do? You put on your wrestling trunks. Why do you put on wrestling trunks? It's hard to be proud in wrestling trunks. Just saying. You know, you just put on your wrestling trunks. Jump in the ring and embrace the fight. We see here that God likes toughness. Why is he fighting with Jacob? Because I think he finds it fun. He's in the mood. He wants to test him. I don't know. Why is he fighting him? And in verse 25, what's happening? He sees that he cannot defeat him. When he saw that he could not defeat him, he could not prevail against him, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with God. If I didn't know better, 
I would think here that God was using his godness to play a little bit of dirty pool. Right? So we know he's God. He's perfect in every way. So that's not what's happening. But for sure, there's a glint in his eye as he's wrestling with Jacob, thinking, oh, you think you're tough, do you, fancy man? Ka-chow! <laughs> out goes the hip. But here's what's beautiful about it. So his hip goes out, and what happens? And Jacob... And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. His hip's out, and he's still fighting. Okay, Jacob is tent-dwelling fancy man no more. 20 years of toil in the house of Levan have toughened him up to the point that he can go toe-to-toe with God until God has to pull out his finishing move. Your life has not been wasted. Your suffering has not been ill-spent. I would say, somebody shout! <clears throat> right? You want to navigate transition? Remember that God is using life to toughen you up, so use that toughness that you've earned through suffering to fight the good fight. Use your suffering to turn into a fighter worthy of God's respect This struck me like I've never preached it this way before, and I have preached this passage previously, I think three times in my life. I realized here that in light of this, I think it's time for us to take our image of godness a little more seriously. Let me go, it's daybreak. You know, there's a kibbutz, a collective farm in northern Israel called Ayelet HaShachar, from this passage. The breaking of the day has come. They believe so much in their patriarch, the fighter, that they named their kibbutz after the breaking of the dawn because their patriarch fought God all night long until God pulled out his finishing move. That's the kind of people that wanted to live at Ayelet HaShachar. That's the kind of place I want to live in. Let me go. It's gone. I will not let you go unless you bless me. You want to navigate transition? Embrace that kind of mule-headed, audacious tenacity. And then remember your new name. Verse 28. What's your name? Jacob. Yaakov. Your name shall no longer be called Yaakov, but Yisrael, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Hear it in the Hebrew. Lo Yaakov yomar od shimcha ki im Israel ki sarita im Elohim ve'im anashim v'tuchal. Okay, so let's break it down. Let's spot the key words. Lo. means no. Lo. Yaakov, what word is that? Jacob, lo Yaakov, yomar od shimcha, yomar, to say od again or more, shimcha, your name. Lo Yaakov, yomar od shimcha, ki im Israel, Israel, what word is that? Israel, ki, hear it here, sarita. So they're linking the two words, ki Israel, ki sarita im Elohim, what's Elohim, the word for? For God, ve'im anashim, what did I tell you 15 minutes ago the word for anashim is? Man, I told you nothing's by accident. Kisarita im Elohim ve'im anashim ve'tuchal, and you are able. No heel grabber, slowpoke, shall be called anymore your name, but stands up with God, because you have stood up to God and to men, and you shall be prevailing. And that promise to that Israeli patriarch, as you are in Christ, is God's promise to you. Did you receive it? It's his promise to you. You want to navigate transition? Remember that you have a new name now, and this is your name. Stand up straight, because you're going to win. Is that a good name or what? 
I got flex, I can't help it. Stand up straight, because you're going to win. And you know what's beautiful about this? <clears throat> Worship team, I'm done, you can join me. Is that all your suffering has made you humble. Verse 31, the sun rose upon him. Oh, by the way, the sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow there'll be sun. Right? Sun's going to come up tomorrow. Right? It's going to come up again tomorrow. As he passed Penuel, the face of God, limping because of his hip. You want to navigate transition? Remember, you and everyone you know walks with a limp. So have some mercy on them and have some mercy on yourself and go slow. And never forget it. Verse 32. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of his thigh. God's people never forgot what God did. That's a reason to read your Bible there, is it not? That's a reason to learn the story of God and his people, is it not? So that you will remember what God did, so that when you find yourself in your next situation, you'll know what God has a tendency to do, so you'll be watching for the right thing. Y'all feel me? That's right. You want to navigate transition? Take action. Conquer your fear by counting on God's goodness. Know that you're not the only one who's ever had a stomach dropping, blood rushing to your core. I think I'm going to pass out. Worst case scenario moment come your way. So call out to God for help. Remind your issues about Jesus. I'm going to take that one to the bank this week. Remind your issues about Jesus. Remember, sometimes God puts you in tough situations to toughen you up. So use that toughness to fight the good fight, embracing a mule-headed, audacious tenacity and your new name, which is stand up straight because you're going to win. But go slow because everybody, including you, walks with a bit of a limp. So even though your name, like his, is victory, remember that your nickname is Hop Along Cassidy. And that's how you navigate transition. One hop at a time.